Welcome to episode 19 of your MedMal podcast, Discovering the Needle. Nurse consultants help you discover what you didn't know that you didn't know about how to win your medical malpractice case. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. You can learn more about how behind-the-scenes legal nurse consulting can improve your firm's win rates and profitability by following us on LinkedIn or visiting our website at www.nplegalconsultants.com. It's time to discover the nurse consultant advantage. Let's get started. Today, our guest is Joan Davis. Welcome to MedMail Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here. So Joan, tell us about your clinical background. I've been a nurse for over 40 years. Initially, I worked in the U.S. I started off my career in general pediatrics and then pediatric ICU. And I was in the U.S. for about 10 years. And then I relocated back to Canada where I started working at a rural hospital. And throughout my career, I gravitated towards critical care nursing. So I ended up in the emergency departments in the rural hospital. And I also worked in a tertiary care hospital in the emergency department. I was asked to be a charge nurse, which took me to all the units within the hospital. During this time, I went up north to work with the indigenous population. There was no doctor on site. So all the nurses up there had to take on an advanced practice role. So that's where I learned like suturing, doing prenatal exams, everything from babies all the way up to the elderly. What I'm hearing is you are across every spectrum there is. I heard that you've done some rural. I've heard that you've done from pediatrics to adults to leadership roles to even doing some advanced practice services. You are familiar with standards of care in both the United States and Canada. That it's quite the breadth of a career. Yes, I've had a great experience and I feel very fortunate to have been able to do all of that. Joan can be reached by emailing Joan Davis LNC at protonmail.com. That's J O A N D A V I S L N C at P R O T O N mail.com. You may also find Joan on LinkedIn by searching for Joan Davis. RN Legal Nurse Consultants. Joan, tell us about the story that you brought with you today. So this case was basically the patient had gone from an ICU to a medical unit and the incident occurred within the medical unit. So it was a good case for me because I have a kind of experience in both areas and have worked on medical surgical unit. And I have also inserted dozens of gastric tubes. So I have a lot of experience in that area and I could look at the documentation and pick out some of the flaws. These stories that occur during transition times, like shift change or transition from one unit to another or transitioning from one hospital to another, they can be a challenge. It can be a challenge to find the right consultant to look at that because consultants are going to generally look at the unit that they're most familiar with or that they have clinical experience on. And if they only have clinical experience in one area, they're going to be laser focused on whether the healthcare provider or caregiver in that unit did their job properly and followed the standard of care. But they might miss standard of care violations in the transitioning or other unit. Yeah, that's very true. What happened in this case? But this is a case about a patient that had a stroke and was not able to swallow properly. So they had to insert a tube for feedings. The tube was in place for a couple of days. The patient accidentally yanked it out and it had to be replaced. This sounds very familiar. I feel like most nurses that have worked med surge at all have encountered 
to this point, a story virtually identical to what you just described. So tell our listeners a little bit more about how a stroke might lead to someone needing a nasogastric tube and what that is exactly. Maybe a little bit about some of the complications of that. Just educate those listening that may not be nurses or providers. Sure. So with a stroke, it typically affects one side of your brain and the opposite side of your body is going to have some degree of paralysis or difficulty maneuvering. And it affects your throat and the tongue as well. So the tongue helps you push the fluid towards the back of the mouth. And if those muscles are lax, then when you go to swallow, you may choke. It's a risk of aspirating food into your lungs when you eat. So you have to have a nasogastric tube inserted. And nasogastric tubes are temporary solutions. This situation is a hospital scenario where we've got to get this person nutrition. They can't pass it from their mouth to their stomach on their own. So this bypasses that place where the windpipe and the esophagus kind of split off and goes right down into the esophagus so that the food can enter the stomach without a risk of entering the lungs. I think this is an interesting point too, because it's really easy on cases like this to not see liability if you don't understand what the nursing standard of care is in placing and monitoring and verifying placement of an azogastric tube. Exactly. And that's what the lawyer said to me when I talked to him first about the case. He said, I can do the research. I can look at the literature, but I don't really understand what the nurse's position is or what she's supposed to be doing and what the responsibilities of the doctor are. Not so important because if you have nurse liability, then that takes that to the hospital liability, whereas physicians are oftentimes, and I don't know if this is the same in Canada and the United States, but oftentimes physicians are independent. So you have to know what entity you're suing. That's pretty critical. Yes, exactly. Sometimes both for sure. And in this case, there probably was a little bit of shared liability. How was the doctor involved in this case? So in this case, there was an x-ray done after the insertion. And the attending physician interpreted the x-ray as the nasogastric tube was down in the stomach where it should be. So the feeds could proceed. However, misinterpretation of x-rays can be pretty common after NG insertion. And if it's not being read by a qualified radiologist that can do the final interpretation, certain points might be missed. So when a nurse is going to insert an NG tube, she has to measure so that she knows the correct depth of the tube. And the tube has markings all throughout the length of it. So the nurse measures from the earlobe, the tip of the nose, to the tip of the sternum or the breastbone. And that gives her her measurement of how deep to insert the nasogastric tube. So that's the first step for the nurse. Right. If it's shallow, we've got problems. And you don't want it being too long, coiling up in the stomach either. The length of the tube, that's critical step number one. Yeah. So that's critical step number one. And then the nurse proceeds to insert the tube. And while she's doing that, she really has to monitor that patient closely. So she's looking for any kind of signs of respiratory distress. Like, are they coughing? Are they choking? Is their breathing becoming faster? Are they becoming restless and agitated? You know, if you get something down your breathing tube the wrong way, it's very aggravating. The nurse really has to do an assessment as she's inserting the tube. And if she encounters any resistance, she also has to stop. This is going up one nostril, grounding down through the throat. It's horrible to think about. If you've never had one placed, you can imagine someone essentially forcing something down your throat can be aggravating in and of itself. Shoot, 
everybody will give you resistance when you're putting an NG tube down, but you're talking about physical obstruction, getting in the way, making it so that you can't advance any further. Yes, absolutely. Because you don't want to force the tube through anything and perforate the esophagus. It really is a very skilled procedure to put in an NG tube because perforation or dislodgement into the lungs, these are really serious complications. It's definitely something you'd need a certain level of education to do. Yeah. And it's important if you don't have the skills to be able to recognize within yourself if you're capable of doing it, or if you need to ask somebody else that's more skilled to do the procedure for you. And if a patient has had a stroke and maybe they have an altered level of consciousness, so they're not as awake or as aware as a normal person would be, then that's actually an increased risk because they're maybe not as able to communicate what they're feeling to you. And yeah, you might expect that person to be agitated just by nature of their condition. So you might not notice some subtle changes in their agitation and things like that that might suggest that they're physically uncomfortable. So you're measuring to make sure that it's going down deep into the esophagus and into the stomach. You're watching the patient as you insert this. Yeah. So when the nurse finally gets it to the measurement that she wants and she thinks it's in place, she's going to secure it. There's a special tape that goes on the nose and then it clamps around the tube so that the tube is securely into place. And then whatever that measurement is, as the tube exits the nose, the nurse is going to document that in the nurse's note. One thing that, that I was taught to do was to even mark it with a Sharpie right on that spot so that a nurse's coming on shift could visually see that's flush with the tip of the nose to make sure that it hasn't dislodged or slid out. I was taught to secure the end of it to the gown with a tape and safety pin because if that patient were to yank it from certain locations, it could tug more on the gown than off the nose, especially in confused patients. So just strategic ways that nurses devise or are taught to secure it in place once it is in place. And especially this patient had already pulled out one nasogastric tube previous to this. So once you have the tube secured, you can check for placement. So there's a few different ways. Some of the traditional methods that we've used, taking a syringe full of air and pushing that air through the tube into the stomach and you listen with a stethoscope over the stomach to see if you can hear that kind of pop of air or a whoosh bubbles inside the stomach. Yeah. Another method is taking that syringe and pulling out what you hope are stomach contents and looking at them for the color and also checking the pH with a pH paper at the bedside. Gastric contents are more acidic. So if the pH is 5.5 or less, then it's a method of confirmation that it's in the stomach. And then that x-ray is that ultimate determining factor. Right. And the standard of care is that's done on every patient with any kind of nasogastric or orogastric placement in the hospital setting. Yes. The x-ray is considered to be the gold standard. There's a strip that runs down the NG tube. It's radiopaque. So the radiologist can actually follow the course of the NG tube. So there's a couple of things that the radiologist has been trained to look for. He has to be able to see the entire esophagus from the top of it down to below the diaphragm, which is the muscle that divides the lungs from your abdominal cavity. And he should be able to see the nasogastric tube going down through the midline portion of the body. And the other thing the radiologist is going to look for is the tip. And he wants to see the tip 
down below that diaphragm again into the stomach. Because if it is above the diaphragm and deviating either to the right or to the left, then it's gone into the lung. Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like certainly those kinds of structures are pretty subtle on that type of imaging. It's something that only a trained eye could see best, really. You're passing through the diaphragm and you're inside an esophagus, both of which are non-radio-opaque soft tissues. And yet it's not obviously reasonable nor efficient to get an MRI on every single patient going in for a NG2 placement to be able to see those structures exactly as they are. So really, an x-ray is technologically rudimentary in terms of visualizing the actual placement, but you can infer the placement with a trained eye. And a radiologist can do so much more accurately than your average provider. Yeah, because your providers look at x-rays all the time. But to get an official report from an x-ray, you have to have it confirmed by a radiologist. Those are some really good insights into what that radiologist is actually looking for and are probably very basic for a radiologist, at least. It's something that just your average physician who's quote-unquote familiar, if not intimately familiar, with an x-ray should be able to assess the location of the diaphragm and whether something is or is not above the diaphragm, whether something does or does not stay midline versus deviate to one side or the other. These are very gross observations on an x-ray. Yeah. And if the physician is just looking for that tip to say, oh, is that tip down a certain part and doesn't go through all those steps and make sure it passed through this area, passed through this area, then he's probably going to miss that it's not in the right spot. Yeah. Which can have evidently tragic outcomes. And then you might have a physician come in and review a case like this and say, oh, here's your smoking gun. Yes, I am a reasonable and prudent attending general physician, and I'm looking at this x-ray, and even I can see it. Of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. Even I can see that this is out of place. This physician surely missed the mark here. But what that physician may not know is about the nurse's role and be able to loop that liability in. So I think a physician would have probably looked at the x-ray and judged whether the physician made the right call if he felt that the NG looked to be in the right place or not in the right place. And I don't think a physician would have looked at the nursing notes at all to determine what did the nurse document, what did the nurse do when she inserted the tube, or did she just blindly insert it and send the patient off for x-ray? Because physicians don't typically insert NG tubes, they don't know all the steps that the nurse has to go through to determine what the correct placement is and how to secure it and how they tell from shift to shift if it is indeed in the right place and whether they're flushing with water before they start feedings. There's a lot that the nurses do, not just once, not just at the time of placement, but routinely throughout the care of the patient to re-verify and re-verify that placement. And if there's anything awry then they can always get another x-ray. So many things. Like when you walk into a room of a patient that currently has an NG tube, you're looking at the mark on that NG tube. You're looking to see that the tape is secure. You're looking again at the reaction of the patient. Are they sputtering? Are they seeming to be agitated? All of this going on in our heads in an instant as we walk in the door. And then those steps that we take when we're about to change something up, give medications. We're listening for that whoosh in the stomach to see if that's still present. And anytime we withdraw, always looking at that color, all the things that we do. And I don't know, I think you and I think about it in our clinical practice, you get to a point where you do all this, like riding a bike on autopilot, 
And if you had to, you can sit and bullet point it out, but it's just, it just goes on in your head. Is that your experience? Yeah, for sure. But, you know, I can imagine every time that goes out and comes back in, goes out and comes back in, they're having to go get an x-ray, x-ray, x-ray. But it is what it is. You got to know every time. Yeah. And because it's such a high risk procedure that if it's not in the right spot, it can be life threatening. In this case, the patient did end up getting tube feeding in his lung. He developed pneumonia and had to be intubated and was quite severely injured as a result of this medical error. He ended up surviving ultimately, but it was a very difficult process. And the other piece of this that I looked at when I did this case is what was the response of the nurse afterwards? She immediately took out the NG2. Did she have a doctor come and assess the patient? Because he then became more distressed or did the rapid response team come or did they do some physio to the lungs to try and get rid of the extra fluid that had been put in there? So that's a piece that a legal nurse consultant would go on and follow through with. And this is where chronology, 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 because there are some things that just happen sometimes, but there's always that question of what was the delay in time between where we can see that evidence retroactively that it was occurring, where it should have been caught or should have been suspected to that point where it was actually diagnosed and action taken. So what do those gaps look like and do they fall into that reasonable and prudent time frame? And I always like to look at the nursing process, the systematic review that nurses go through every day, every action they take, they're using the nursing process. So they have to look at, did they make a plan? Did they implement that plan? Did they evaluate after they implemented? And that's what they're, that's what they're trained on from nursing school. And that specifically is not something that a physician reviewer will be familiar with because the philosophical model that nurses function on is just different than the medical model. And especially when there's any kind of nursing involved, it really should be a legal nurse consultant. Absolutely. I agree with you 100% there. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I think that's a really excellent example. It's been a really interesting conversation. I appreciate you sharing with us today. Really appreciate you having me on and I've had a great time. You've been listening to Discovering the Needle. Nurse consultants help you discover what you didn't know that you didn't know about how to win your medical malpractice case. This podcast is a production of Discovery NP Legal Consultants. Discovery is the largest unified growing force of specialty nurse practitioners offering consulting services to medical malpractice attorneys who take cases for the plaintiff. To request a consultation or to be featured as a legal nurse consultant on our podcast, you may reach us on our website at www.nplegalconsultants.com or by calling 208-779-1990. That's 208-779-1990.